0: Turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter nine, we're continuing to see the life of Daniel, but in this, in this, not only do we see Daniel's life, but God revealed the future to him through visions and dreams. And we come to chapter 9 of the Bible of, of Daniel, chapter 9. It's probably one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. This chapter not only gives us prayer but it also gives us God's plan for the nation of Israel and the end time events. It's just amazing. In fact, if we look at this, Daniel 9, we see the promises to Israel. We see the coming of the Messiah. We see his death. We see the time of the tribulation. We see the Antichrist. We see all of these things in Daniel chapter 9. Now, I mentioned this uh, last week, and then I talked to even my group today. I just reminded them in Daniel chapter 9, we'll see this next week. Daniel chapter 9 actually tells us, when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was to die. It tells when he would die on the cross. This chapter, and we'll look at it as we get to it, not, not necessarily this week, but next week for sure. There's some great things there. As we see this passage, we see what God gives the nation to do. This passage deals with two things. It's prayer and prophecy. This morning, we're going to look at the prayer. It's powerful because it's a great picture of how we're to pray And what we're to do. But then next week, we see what we call the 70th week of Daniel. And that's a very powerful passage. And we're going to have some handouts for you and some charts for you. And we're going to put a bunch of things up because it is very detailed. And I want you to understand that. I want us to be able to put it together. So as we look at this prayer, two things sort of stand out. God's righteousness and man's sinfulness. And we'll see what Daniel says. Because when you look at Daniel and we say, Daniel, what a great guy. And and then we see that he's talking about his sin, and we'll see it as we go through it. You know, all of us who know Christ as Savior, our goal is to live for him and to live in such a way that Jesus Christ gets all the glory. We have the privilege of serving him while we're on this earth, but sometimes we fail. Sometimes we fall short of God's glory, and when we try to live for him, we fail. Sometimes we fail on purpose. Sometimes it just happens. What are we supposed to do? Well, if you go to 1 John, he says, don't sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He goes on to say in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, which means telling ourselves, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the bottom line is when we sin, when we know we sin, when we realize we've sinned, we're to confess that sin. As we look at Daniel chapter 9, <clears throat> Daniel reads the Bible discovers a truth from the Bible, and then turns in prayer to God. And then God answers his prayer by sending an angel to him. And so Daniel is able to come to God based on his character and everything. And the truth is, we're to do the same thing. We're to come boldly unto the throne of grace. Anytime, any place, anywhere. So this chapter, two things. We're gonna see Daniel's prayer, which is basically the first twenty-three verses. We won't get that far today. We'll get through about verse 19. But the prayer is actually one through twenty-three and then the prophecy. And this is what we call the seventy weeks of Daniel. That's chapter nine, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven, and we'll see more of that. So this week, the prayer, next week. The prophecy and we'll see how that fits together well let's look Daniel chapter 9 that's one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible it gives the program for the nation of Israel you know there are a whole bunch of people that teach that when the Jewish people as a nation rejected Jesus Christ and they did and he died on the cross and paid for sin there are people who teach that God is through with the nation of Israel that's not true. In fact, if you read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, he actually raises the question, Paul says, is God cast away his people? No, in no way. And as we read Daniel chapter 9, we see God has a plan for the nation of Israel. And it's a future plan, and and, and with the church, the body of Christ, we'll get to see all of this and how it all fits together. Well, why does God give this information to Daniel? You remember the nation of Israel is in captivity. The temple had been destroyed. they have been taken in captivity, been in captivity for at least 70 years. Some of the Jewish people were wondering, what about all the promises? Is it really over? And God wanted Daniel to tell his people, it is not over. I have a plan for the nation. We saw it back in chapter 2 where we saw the kingdoms to come and then the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. We saw it in chapter 7 where those four different nations uh, came out of there and once again, God's kingdom. Well, in chapter 9, we see the responsibility. And and I'm going to tell you, we'll see the details concerning the end time events, especially the time called the tribulation where we see what's known as the abomination desolation. This morning, the prayer. Daniel comes to God in prayer. I think it's important. Most people, uh, I remember when I was in seminary that I had this professor that we, we all thought he was the greatest, and everybody talked about failures and things. And he said, well, I'll tell you, if you really want to talk about failure, the failure of almost all believers is we don't pray enough. We don't pray. We pray at the last resort. Like people say, oh, no, this is so bad. I guess we ought to pray about it instead of talking to God all the time. So I want to show you this passage, what we're going to look at this morning. In verses 1 through 3, Daniel reads the Bible. And he's going to be reading from Jeremiah. And then we see Daniel's prayer, beginning at verse 4 through verse 19. The first part is confession. If you notice, that's a lot of it. (laughs) He's confessing the sins of the nation of Israel. I'll tell you what happened. And then he gives his petition. He asks God for something. And sometimes when we go to God, we can do the same thing. We can talk to God and we begin maybe by confessing our sin and say, Lord, you know, I I did this, I did this, I confess this. Thank you, Lord, you're faithful and just to forgive me. Now, here's something I want to talk to you about. And we can do that. We can do that anytime. When we look at this passage, here's what we really see. God's righteousness, our sinfulness, and God's faithfulness. Daniel was a young boy taken into captivity. The nation has been under the Babylonian empire. And now... They've been moved over. The Babylonian Empire has fallen, and the B- Medo-Persian Empire has come to power. And Daniel is still there. And we're going to see that this takes place in the first year of Darius, which is when the, the uh, Medo-Persian Empire started. So Daniel reads the Bible. By the way, Daniel reads the Bible and learns something. When we read the Bible, guess what? We can learn some things, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. Let's start with Daniel reading the Bible. Daniel reads the Bible. It's so true that you can find out a lot of things from the Bible. I remember sometimes doing premarital counseling, and we'll get in there, and we'll talk about roles of husband and wife. And some people say, I never heard of that. So we go to Ephesians. And there's the role of the husband, the role of the wife, and the, the responsibilities of the husband. And sometimes they'll say, I've never seen that. And I say, well, you learned from some of the Bible, didn't you? I mean, the Bible has a lot of great truths in it. Look at verse 1. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans or the medio persians In chapter 5, Belshazzar was killed and Darius the Mede took over. The Babylonian Empire fell, and the medo o persian Empire came. When this has happened, Daniel, this is now the first year that Daniel's under the Medes and the Persians. If you remember, under the Medes and the Persians, that's when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. And that's Daniel chapter 6. We saw that earlier. Well, watch what happens. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Now, what he's actually saying is this. He was reading the book of Jeremiah. Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah because Jeremiah was written before Daniel ever went into captivity. And so he had the book of Jeremiah, and he's reading it, and when he reads it, he realizes something. He says, I was reading it, and I saw the number of years that Jerusalem was supposed to be in desolation. Jeremiah told them the number of years that the captivity would last. Do you understand that? Before they even went into captivity, Jeremiah God gave to Jeremiah the number of years they would be in captivity. You may know how many it was. It's supposed to be how long? 70 years. I want you to do this. Hold your place in Daniel. Turn back a few books to the book of Jeremiah and look at Jeremiah chapter 25. Look at verse 11. Just turn back there. You need to see how perfect God's word is. Jeremiah 25. Everybody turning? Everybody there? Okay, Jeremiah 25. Look at verse 11. This is Jeremiah getting prophecy from God. And it says, this whole land, the land of Israel, will be a desolation and a horror. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon for how long? 70 years. Look at verse 12. When it will be 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation declares the Lord for their iniquities in the land of the Chaldeans. I will make it an everlasting desolation. Uh, desolation. We know what happened. At the end of 70 years, the medo persians came in to rise the Mede, and that was the end of the Babylonians. I want you to look at chapter 29. Just a few pages up. Look at chapter 29. Look at verse 10. This will amaze you. Now, remember, this was written before, Daniel, before they ever went into captivity. Verse 10, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you, talking to the Jewish people, and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Go back to Daniel 9. Daniel read the Bible and he realized that God said they would be in captivity 70 years. Guess how long they had been there? 70 years. And when Darius the Mede came and his other king leader named Cyrus, the Persian king, Cyrus said, for some reason, I think the Jewish people ought to go back to their homeland. And at the end of 70 years, the Jewish people went back to their homeland, just like prophesied. And not only that, Cyrus the king of Persia paid for the Jewish people to go back And he paid to rebuild the temple. So, Daniel reads and he says, I was reading the book of Jeremiah and I saw that we were supposed to be in captivity for 70 years. 70 years is up. You know, when you're studying the Bible, you can read a lot of things. You can read how to have eternal life. You can read how the end times fit together. You can understand our responsibility as believers. And, And one of the great truths is when you see something in the Scripture, it is accurate and true and you can count on it. So what was Daniel's response? Look at verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications and fasting, sackcloth and ashes. What did Daniel do? When he realized that the time was up, it was time for his people to go back, his response was prayer. I want you to see something about Daniel. We're going to go through it very quickly. In fact, when we get to the prayer part, I'm going to go through the prayer very quickly because you can read it and look at it on your own. But I want to show you a contrast or something that ties together. What kind of person was Daniel? What should we be like? Think about this. Daniel was a faithful man. He was obedient to the word. We're supposed to be faithful, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Daniel studied the Bible. Second, in Daniel chapter 2, he studied the Bible. Daniel chapter 9, he studied the Bible. We're supposed to study the Bible. First, uh, excuse me, that's prayer. Uh, He was a praying man. We're supposed to be praying. He studied the Bible in chapter 9. We're supposed to study the Bible. He served God continually. We're supposed to serve God. He trusted God. We're supposed to trust God. When we look at Daniel, we see he's a great example of what we're supposed to be doing. So what does he do? He turns to God in prayer, and we're going to see the prayer. And the prayer is two parts, confession and petition, and we're going to see that. And and uh, when we when we come to God, we can do the same thing. We confess our sins to maintain our fellowship, and we can make our requests known. Listen, you can come to God with anything. Listen, I'm not going to go into detail this morning, but there's four or five different kind of prayers in the Bible. There's a prayer of confession. There's a prayer of petition, which you ask for something. There's a prayer of intercession, which you ask for somebody else. Uh, there's, there's a prayer of thanksgiving. And then there's even just a, just a word for prayer that means to worship, that you put your face to the ground. So you can come to God, and you can ask him for things. You can ask him for things for other people. You can confess your sin. You can worship and praise him. You can thank him. You can do all of these things. Daniel is going to come to God, and he's going to confess his sins, and he's going to ask God to bless them and protect them. And we're going to see what that is. And so we can do that. So let's look at the confession. And I'm going, to, I'm going to go really quickly through this. And one of the things that you see, he says, we are unrighteous. That's the Jewish people. That's all of us, actually. And he says, you are righteous. Now, as he talks about the sin of the nation, two things. He said they were disobedient to God's word. They disobeyed the Bible, and they didn't listen to The prophets will see that as we go through. Look at verse 4. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and I confessed and I said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keeps His commandments. He says, God, you're the greatest. You're the one who keeps your covenant. You're the one who loves us unconditionally. And then he says in verse 5, watch. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Remember, they disobeyed the commandments. Then look at the next verse. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. The next thing, they were disobedient. They didn't listen to the prophets. You know what the prophets told them? The prophets said that if you don't turn back to God, he'll take you out of the land. When you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, when you read uh, some of the other, Hosea, Joel, all those books, they're telling the nation of Israel, you need to turn back to God or he will remove you from the land. They did not turn back from God to God and he removed them from the land. And Daniel prays, look what he says in verse 7. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is today to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel who are nearby and those who are far away and all the countries which you've driven them because... <coughs> Of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. He is perfectly righteous. We are sinful. When we come to God, we don't come to God and say, hey, I'm doing really good. We come to God and say, I recognize I've fallen short of your glory. You are a God. You love us more than we could imagine. I just want my life to count for you. Righteousness belongs to you. Shame to Israel. That's what he says. Verse 8, he says, open shame belongs to us. Verse 9, he says, to the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. In verse 9, he says, God, you're a compassionate, you care about us, you're a merciful God. Let me ask you something. If God was not compassionate, merciful, and loving, would you be alive today? The answer is we would be dead immediately if he wasn't a compassionate, worshipful, gracious, loving God. Because we sin all the time. Anybody in this room sinned? All of us sin. We've sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we can be like Daniel. and say, God, shame belongs to us. And righteousness belongs to you. And you're a God of compassion and mercy. And you care all about us. Thank you, Lord. And then look at verse 10. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he sits before us through his servants, the prophets. What he does is this. Puts the blame on himself and the nation. And the truth is this, when we approach God, we're not victims. We're sinners. We sin and come short of the glory of God. And when we come to God, we don't come to God and say, I can't help this, I can't help this, and if you hadn't let this happen here, and I wasn't in this situation, what we say to God is, I blew it again. It reminds me of the Dennis the Menace cartoon. I'll never forget it, I love it. Dennis the Menace is at his bed, he's praying, he's fixing, supposed to be get into his bed to go, go to sleep, and he's praying, and he says... I'm here to turn myself in. <laughs> That's us. That's what Daniel's doing. I'm here to turn myself in. God disciplines, God delivers. Look what he says in verses 11 through 14. He's going to say, God promised that he would judge the nation. Now, you've got to understand this. When we sin, there are consequences. Adam and I, Adam Barnes and I have been talking about this whole idea of sin and consequences. And we know that with sin, there is the natural consequences to sin. But then there are also the consequences that God brings. And And when God told the nation of Israel, he said to them, you need to obey me. They didn't obey. They didn't live by the scriptures. He said to them, if you don't obey me, i I will take you out of the land. That's going to be the consequences. So God promised he would judge the nation. Look at verse 11. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath, which is written in the law of Moses, that the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Do you understand that in Deuteronomy 28... There's a passage that says, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. He's talking to the nation of Israel. He told them, if you stay in this if you want to stay in this land, you obey me and live for me and I will bless you beyond what you could imagine. If you disobey, you turn away to false gods, you ignore the prophets, you do everything else, I will curse you and I will remove you from the land. And that's exactly What he did. Do you understand that in 722 B.C. The Assyrian nation came in and took off the northern empire of Israel. It was divided into two kingdoms at that time. And in 722 B.C., we talked about it already in studying the book of Daniel. Took them off into captivity. And then the southern kingdom, which where Daniel lived in, was taken away in 605 B.C. God fulfilled his promise. And let me tell you, when God says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he what? Also reap. God's not fooling around. There are consequences. And he says in verse 13, just as it is written in the word, this has all come upon us. Verse 13, it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us. Yet we've not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving intention to your truth. He's saying, well, we haven't responded. We should turn back. We should live for you. We should say we want our lives to to live for you. And that's what we should do. Anytime we sin, anytime we blow it, and we do, we should come to God and say, I blew it. I, I want to live for you. I want my life to count for you. I want to grow. And then he gives them the summary. In verse 14, he says, Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store. He's brought it on us. The Lord our God is righteous respect to all his deeds which he has done, and we've not obeyed his voice. The Jewish people are in captivity in the book of Daniel because they refuse to do what God asked them to do. And sometimes there are consequences in our lives because we refuse to obey and live by the Scripture. In verse 15, he says, And now, O Lord, our God, who has brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and you've made a name for yourself, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. He said, this is a confession. We've sinned. And that's what we're supposed to do, confess our sins when we find that we do them. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Now, what's the petition? You know what the petition is? You know what it simply is? Let us go back to the land. Let us go back to Jerusalem. Let us go back and have the temple. Let us go back and live in the land that you promised us. We confess our sins. Take us back. That's what he confessed. Guess what happened? What happened? Anybody know? He took them back. After the 70 years, Cyrus, king of Persia, said, I think the Jewish people ought to go back. And 50,000 Jewish people left the Medo-Persian Empire and went back to Israel and rebuilt a temple and later rebuilt the walls of the city of Jerusalem. That's the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. That's what's going to happen. So Daniel, Daniel was praying. Let's see his petition, see what he does. And, and the petition is God, it's always based on the promises of God. Look at verse 16. Oh Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let us now your, turn your anger and your wrath, turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for because of our sins and the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach. He says, turn away your anger. In the discipline. The 70 years is about up. He says, Lord, you promised to let us go back. Please let us go back. And he talks about Jerusalem and the city. And then he says, oh, now, Lord, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, oh, Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Restore us. Restore us. And I love this because he says, hear us and restore us. Why? Why? It's not because of Daniel or the nation deserves anything. But it's for God's sake. Look what he says. For your sake. Look at verse 17 again. So now our Lord, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord. Listen, we come to God. We're saying, Lord, it's for you. We want to live for you. We want our lives to count for you. It's for your sake and mercy. And then look what he says. Oh my God. Incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we're not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Listen, when we approach God, it's not based on our merit. We don't deserve anything salvation is a gift not because we deserve it it's a gift he gives it to us we all sin and come short of the glory of god the wages of sin is death nobody's righteous no not one not one seeks after god nobody deserves to go to heaven and god in his grace and mercy gives us eternal life and when we approach god after sinning we don't come with anything based on what we can do we're coming on his grace and mercy it is it is not on account of our own merit It is not our righteousness, but it is his mercy and God in his grace. So anytime you talk to God, say, thank you, Lord. You are the most gracious, wonderful God. Titus 3, 5, and 6, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Grace of God. How do you approach God? We live in a world that takes everything as nothing. Oh, God, God, he's the big man upstairs. He's not the big man upstairs. He's the eternal, all-powerful, wonderful, righteous, holy God who has saved us and loves us and wants us to come to him. But we don't come to him on our merit. We come to him on his grace and mercy. Look at his request. This is it, verse 19. This is his request. Oh, Lord, hear Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, oh, my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. He's asking God. Look what he's doing. I got it right here. Look at this. Hear. Forgive. Listen. Do. He says, hear and forgive. Hear my confession and forgive me. Listen to my petition and do it. That's what he says. And let me tell you, when you come to God, guess what? We want him to hear our prayer, our confession, and he does. When you come to God and say, God, I blew it. I confessed this. I did this wrong. Guess what? We want him to hear our confession, and he does. And we want him to forgive us because the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us. And he does. And then when we lift up a petition, we want him to listen to our petition, and he does. And guess what he does? He answers our prayers. may not always be the way we ask him, but he answers prayers. Because he always does what is best. So as we look at this prayer, it's confession and petition. And he said, we are your people in the city called by your name. Listen, I love Jewish people. I love Jewish people. I love Jewish Christians. I, I know Jewish people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. They call them completed, Christian, uh, completed Jews. I love them. But I also love Jewish people who have never trusted Christ. And I know one of these days, the nation of Israel according to Romans nine, ten, and 11, one of these days the nation of Israel will turn back to God and they will trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. In Revelation chapter 7, at the beginning of the tribulation, 144,000 Jewish people will trust in Christ, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. That'll just be the beginning. And at the end of the tribulation, when there's the war surrounding the city, the nation of Israel will believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah and Savior. That's what it says. And Jesus will come out of the heavens as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He says, "Oh Lord, listen to our prayer. Oh Lord, forgive us. Oh Lord, here, take action. And that's what we want. Confession, we have sinned, you are righteous. You have done what you said. Petition, restore us, not based on us but on your grace and your loving kindness. You know what God does? He sends an angel to Daniel. He sends an angel to Daniel and said, guess what? While you were praying, God sent me. I'm here to give you a message about the nation of Israel and the end times. That's what we're going to see next time. When we sin, what do we do? We confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive us. When we do that, then we make our petitions known. We let our requests be made known. And he is a God who loves us and answers prayers. So let me give you these applications. First of all, let's be men and women of character. Because Daniel was a man of character. That's what he was. He was that kind of man. And that's why we're going to see that as we get to chapter 9 and we get a little further in there on verses 20 through 23, the angel says, because you are special. (laughs) Because Daniel was a man of character. We need to go to the Bible and believe the Word of God. We need to study it. What is, what is your response to the Word when you study it? What's your response? What was Daniel's response to the Word? He saw the truth and he began to pray for God to do it. He saw that they were supposed to go back after 70 years. So he said, God, you said 70 years. It's been 70 years. Please let us go back. Not because we deserve it, but because you promised it. We always approach God based on his grace and mercy. We do not come based on any merit in ourself, but to the grace and the mercy of God. And then finally, come boldly. Come boldly with a request. Come and say, Lord, I love you. You love me more than I could even imagine. And you confess, and you petition, and you ask him, and you pray, and you thank him, and you love him, and you lift your voices up to him, and he will answer our prayer. He's a God who loves us beyond what we can imagine. May we be men and women of character, trusting God's word, studying the word of God, coming boldly to the throne.